Hi again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Sens Nation podcast brought to you by Jim K. Ford. Reignite your love for driving with a new Ford from Jim K. Ford. Take a test drive today. See all of the latest innovations available for new Ford vehicles. And for your comfort, if you're in the market for a new or pre-owned vehicle, Jim K. Ford will be happy to bring that test drive to you. You just pick out the vehicle you love and they'll bring it to your home or your place of work for a demonstration and test drive. Jim K. Ford in Orleans or JimKFord.com. Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. On today's show, our fans starting to get a little irritated maybe with Brady Kachuk and the negotiations and the camp holdout. It sure seems like that. The Sens released 13 players from camp. We'll tell you who they are. Parker Kelly left Friday's game after tangling with the wrong guy. And some think Josh Norris is lucky he wasn't thrown out of that game. All still ahead on the Sens Nation podcast. Let's say hello to the good coach, Greg Kennedy. How are things, Greg? Things are good, Steve. It's it's Sunday evening here in Alberta, and it's a beautiful day. It was a day off after, after games Friday night and Saturday night. It's nice to have a day off. Good stuff. Poor old Blue Jays, though. Oh, oh, they got the sweep of the Orioles they needed on the final weekend, hammered them, and then all they needed was Washington today, as we record this on a Sunday. All they needed was the Nationals to hang on to a 5-1 lead on Boston, entering the sixth inning, and they couldn't do it. Raphael Devers goes deep with a two-run shot in the ninth, and that eliminates the Jays, who had a fine season, but they're certainly, I'm sure, wondering what might have been today. Yeah, I can't help thinking, you know, you could pick out one game here, one game there. But to me, it was the, the last week with the Twins there, that, that couple losses in there that just shouldn't have happened. It's a shame. Yeah, it, it was It's unfortunate. It uh, You think about it, you know, three teams in your division are making the playoffs in the American League. That's just bad luck. Like at 91 wins, the Jays, if they were in the NL East, they'd have won the division, I think, by three games. So... Too bad, but uh, a great season all the same, and the future looks very good. They're going to lose, like, Simeon and uh, Robbie Ray, potentially. They're both free agents. We don't know they're going to lose them, but um, certainly there's lots of optimism, I think, in Toronto for the Blue Jays moving forward. But we need to move forward here on the program and get into things. Yes. And let's fire it up today with the Dunrobin Distillery's web poll today. Um, with the other top names in this year's draft all agreeing to deals, like all of them, they're all not just this draft year, like all the RFAs for this year have now agreed to deals with the exception of Brady Kachuk. Um, and with multiple reports saying that Kachuk's been offered eight by eight, how are you currently feeling about Brady Kachuk's handling of his contract negotiations? I'll begin with you. We got lots of feedback on this. I'll begin with, has your attitude changed at all based on the last couple of weeks? Well, what I'm hearing uh, that the, the demand is 8.4. I mean, who knows what the truth is, but I mean, come on. Uh, he, he's probably realistically not even worth eight compared to what the other players assigned for. His, his comparables in the marketplace, he's probably not even really worth eight times eight. So to be sitting there holding out for another 400000 a year is kind of sad. Um, I think there's probably a bone of contention there with the whole signing bonus idea. The players don't like signing bonuses, or the, sorry, the players like signing bonuses because it, they save on escrow. Uh, Eugene Melnick is pretty much no, no, no. We don't do signing bonus, and um, that's probably a bone of contention. But like, I mean, realistically, let's let's just get on with it. 
8 million times 8 is pretty damn good. I think where it changed for a lot of people was when Matthew Kachuk, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, decided he would come forward and start saying things like, my dad held out, I held out, and I guess Brady's being a Kachuk now, something along those lines. I was paraphrasing a little, but I think that maybe turned some uh, turned some opinions in the other direction somewhat. Um, a disclaimer on this whole conversation, by the way, we don't know what's going on officially. We're hearing eight million. You heard 8.4 million, as did one of our good listeners. It's, you know, the Sens have been very clear about this. We don't negotiate through the media, um, at least publicly. Who knows what's being fed to the media, if you know what I mean. But, uh-huh. I mean, you look at all the RFAs have now been signed and combine that with the fact that, you know, we've got, uh, what are we, uh, less than two weeks away from the regular season opener, and you see that all the RFAs have now been signed in the league. Quinn Hughes, uh, Elias Peterson, Pedersen, uh, they both signed. He's the last guy standing, and it doesn't seem like we have anything imminent here, and it seems like the fans are buying into that report that it's an 8 by 8 at least, and he's not signing that? I think people are starting to get a little disgruntled with this kid. Well, good, good for the people. Like I, I agree with them. Like the, the senators, are, like I just finished saying, I really think that eight times eight is an overpayment. I, I understand why it has to be eight times eight. I understand that he's worth so much more to the market than, than other players. Um, his position here, his leadership skills, the way he plays the game, the fact that they've never been able to hang on to people. So yeah, they're going to have to pay a little bit of a premium tax on top of whatever offer they give them. But eight times eight is damn good. And, and it should just get done. And people who are upset about it, I don't blame them in the least. Um, he, he may end up, uh, nobody's going to boo him. But, but yeah, I think that if you took a real poll, uh, most hockey fans would be, think, would be siding with the Senators by now. Let me ask you this. On Friday, as most people would know by now, the Sens destroyed Montreal. Montreal mm-hmm. had kind of their B team out there. But, I mean, it was a 7-2 to <laughs> waxing on Friday night. And yet Alex Formanton... Looked pretty good on that top line with Batherson and Norris. Two goals and an assist and has the wheels and more. He's faster than those other two guys. Um, didn't look that bad in that line, did he? Well, it brings a whole other element, right? Like Brady Kachuk is not a speedster. He's not a fast player. He he brings the element of, of the toughness and the muck and the grind and the down low work to that line. You take him out, you put Formanton in, it's a whole other look. And it's a lot of speed on the wing. And yeah, they each had three points, did they not? They all they all had good nights. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I took Formanton in our little uh, most underrated guy, didn't I? Thinking maybe he could so, play higher up in the lineup if given minutes and, and some decent line mates. Um, yeah, he, he looked great. Okay, fine. Do we want him there all year? Can he maintain that pace all year? Or is he Brandon Bochetsky? Right, yeah, hard to say for sure. Let's get to some of the feedback we got from the good listener. The DunRobinDistilleries.com web poll here with the other top names from his draft year agreeing to deals and multiple reports saying he's been offered eight by eight. How are you currently feeling about Brady Kachuk's handling of his contract negotiations? And a few people saying that wasn't necessarily a, uh, a fair way to put it. I don't know what people want. Um, I think I've just asked for people's opinions. And I think that was a, as an objective way, the most objective way I think I could put it. But did that sound like I'm steering people in any direction? Not at all. I, I saw the one guy who reacted to you, and I'm like, well, wow, how did you want us to word it? <laughs> but go ahead. What kind of results did you get there? Alex Marshall. 
If you're defending a billionaire instead of Brady Kachuk when it comes to apparent greed, then you're all going through life wrong. Hashtag pay Brady, hashtag Melnick out. Matt Hall writes, I'll tell you how I'm feeling. I'm annoyed that the media and fans are dragging our future captain for knowing what he wants and trying to get the best value for himself over eight years. Leafs fans turned on Nylander, and it soured that relationship forever there. And Biggles the Cat, and I always put a lot of stock into what Biggles the Cat has to say. (laughs) Fans in the replies here are being too dramatic. The deal will get done. Ottawa wants Brady. Brady wants Ottawa. I've turned my back on him. Please. There's still lots of time. It's a big, complicated contract. Let these guys sort it out. He'll be here soon. Any thoughts on some of the Brady Kachuk, the pro Brady Kachuk folks? Well, they are correct. It, It will get done. Um, I, I'm sorry, but the idea of we're a billionaire, therefore I can pay him, you know, I should be able to pay him whatever he wants is wrong because you're in a league with a salary cap. There are limits here to what you want to pay, what you can pay on first and foremost, and then limits to what you want to pay. You've got other guys coming up down the road who you're going to have to pay. You have to project your salary cap down the road for three or four years. And on top of that, the, the, the big problem is the COVID with the, with the stagnant cap. Is it going to go up again? When is it going to go up again? You've got to be very careful how you spend your dollars now so that you're not in trouble three years down the road when Josh Norris wants eight by eight. Or Alex Formanton, he wouldn't want that much. But uh, Sanderson, you know, you've got other players to be concerned with down the road. So an extra four hundred grand on AAV to Brady Kachuk now can cause serious problems later. Right. So let's get to the other side of the coin. And like I say, there were it was probably two to one. You can check out the poll yourself at TSN Steve on Twitter. Um, it was about two to one in favor of being you know, feeling negative about the whole thing right now. Krusty the Clam writes, <laughs> I don't know why these people have these nicknames. I love Brady and I don't want to tear him down, but 50 point guys, to your point, Greg, but yeah. 50 point guys are not worth $8 million, never mind 10 or whatever. Not even with the hits, the fights, and leadership. Landeskog just took seven with no upfront bonuses. I'm okay with eight, but beyond that, it starts to eat into our ability to sign other players. If... He's been offered eight by eight and is holding out over structure or signing bonuses. I'm not feeling good about it. Feels like the new Chuck gang combo of Newport sports and the Kachucks, the new Chuck gang wants to pit his popularity against Melnick's unpopularity. They know eight by eight is more than he's worth, even with the leadership and the winning smile. Jeff Canada writes, I think he's losing some shine, starting to look a little greedy and entitled. I have always liked him, but if he's been offered eight by eight and turned that down, man, that would be disappointing. How much money do you need? And finally, Justin Mercier, I'm shifting my opinion. I feel for the Sens now. Family Kachuk is relentless, and I heard it's now north of 8.4 mil. Greedy Kachuk never came close to 70 points and has put up Tom Wilson stats. First round pedigree, six years, 31 mil, still overpaid. Time for change. My new favorite line is Formanton, Norris, and Batherson. So that's just a few of the folks that react negatively about the current situation based on what they think they know. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's very much in favor of the negative side, unfortunately, for Brady. 
and it all makes sense. Like uh, everybody makes a valid point. Both sides here, everybody who's written here has pretty much made a valid point, at least the ones you've chosen to read. Um, there's you can, you can pick holes here and there. Is Brady worth $8 million? No. Like I said earlier, on the open market to some other team, uh, I don't think he gets eight times eight. His comparables, none of them make eight times eight. It's because of the market that he's in. It's because of the role he plays here. It's because of the, the specific circumstances surrounding the past uh, players of his ilk with this club who didn't get signed. So because of that, he's kind of holding the Senators over the barrel saying, well, you know, they're, I'm sure they're scared crapless that they're going to lose another one and look bad. And, the, you know, the media and the fans will be all over them if they don't get it done to the liking of everyone. So that allows him to ask for a little more money because the Sens are, I don't want to say desperate, but they need to get this done far more than Brady needs to, right? Like the Senators need an eight-year deal, locked him up far more than Brady needs to sign for eight years. For God's sakes, he could sign for one. He, he, he just doesn't need to do this if he doesn't like the number. We all know the NHL is a brutal business. Everybody says, make hay while the sun shines, get yours. People understand the business side of things, but again, the Matthew commentary, you think about, you know, fans are living and dying already with the training camp news, and we'll talk about cuts here in just a moment, a bunch of releases that happened today. They want to follow the team. They want to see them have proper preparations, and he's affecting that with this. He's the mm -hmm. only RFA left in the league still holding out. Then you think about the demands that will potentially affect the club's ability to sign other players, teammates, down the road so that's not particularly appreciated by fans or maybe even some of his teammates so a lot of people were saying greg on social media that maybe maybe they're reconsidering the captaincy as well while most people i think were very pro kachuk when it came to the captaincy all those things i just talked about regarding kachuk has them thinking yeah maybe thomas shabbat is the next captain of the ottawa senators do you think that that's an overreaction yeah, I do. I, I, you you got to learn to separate the on ice from the off ice, the business from the from the game. Uh, what he brings to the table, his his performance on the ice, his leadership skills on and off the ice, his presence in the community, his presence in the room—all of those things say he's your captain. And if this contract crap wasn't going on, nobody would be questioning whether he's captain or not. So to bring outside, to bring the business into it, and say take away the C because of business. I just, that that's wrong. Like, I understand people wanting him to be loyal and saying, yeah, I want to be a senator. I want to be the captain. I'll sign for whatever. Well, think about that in your own job. When the when the boss is, you know, you're making 20 bucks an hour and you want 25 and the boss says, well, you're happy here. You like it here. Everybody likes you. Why don't you just take 20 bucks an hour? You know, try to, try to think of it yourself in your own situation. It shouldn't affect yeah. the way he plays on the ice. It won't affect the way he plays on the ice, whether he signs for 8.8 .8 or 8 times 8 or whether he signs for three years at six and a half. I, I, whatever it is, it will not affect the way he plays on the ice. He will still be the leader and he should still be the captain. I don't blame people for feeling the way they do. I think if it were a one-off and this hasn't happened, this kind of thing clashes between player and team, team not willing to pay guys. Like there's just been a, in this four-year rebuild, it's been a lot of angst about players going out the door. So this is a beat-up fan base. Team's been bad last year. 
little better. Last month was pretty good and looked like they're on certainly looked like they're on the right path. But I don't blame fans. If this again, if this were just we're in a vacuum, this is the first time out of the blue, I think the fans would be in the mode of that's okay. It'll get done. But this is a beat up fan base. This is an irritated fan base and they want action. They want this thing to be resolved ASAP. And that's it for today's web poll. It's brought to you by Dunrobin Distilleries. Just like craft beer years ago, the market for craft spirits is booming right now. And Dunrobin Distilleries is at the forefront here in Ottawa. They currently offer artisanal gin and vodka, rye whiskey, 12 different flavors of bitters, and their recently launched Earl Grey Gin, all made with the finest quality ingredients right here in Ottawa. DunrobinDistilleries.com, where will your spirit take you? Well, the boys got the chainsaw out on the weekend. Of course, they had a game on Friday against Montreal, won that handily 7-2, and then on Saturday, closer game, they fell 2-1 to the Montreal Canadiens. So uh, split split with the Eastern champions, and or whatever the hell they were called. They didn't really have East-West conferences as we know them. <laughs> um, but anyway, on the weekend, on Saturday and Sunday, the club made some pretty serious cuts on Saturday the first cuts came down to the first you know, big wave of them. And they following were released. The two big ones that would probably grab most people's attention would be Roby Yarventia, which and I got that from a Finnish play-by-play guy, Yarventia. Now all of a sudden it's Jarventi. So I don't even know. I thought I didn't know you could say the J sound in Finnish, but here we are. Uh, also Mad Sogard. Both of them ending up in Belleville, along with a lot of guys that most people wouldn't have heard of, but there's about seven or eight other names on top of that. There's a local in there. Zach, Zach Leslie's a local. Okay, so I'll give you the full list in case others uh, have uh, ties. Xavier Bernard, Philip Dow, who I liked in camp until they got hurt um, very quick. Tyrell Goulburn, Robbie Jarventi, Zach Leslie, Vincent Sevigny, who was a very late ad. Mad Sogard, Matthew Wedman, who had that uh, rookie game breakaway goal, and Colby Williams. So, like I said off the top, Sogard and Jarventi, really the only ones that are um, of interest there. And what do you think with the goaltending? So, also today, Mandelize got sent down, Sogard got sent down, Gustafson will be sent down probably at some point, but... uh, how does Belleville look for their for the one two this year? <laughs> Don't they look good? It's going to be a question. I, I think that they probably want it to be uh, Gustafson playing the majority of the games and grooming him to be with a big club next year. But uh, it might just be an open market there, and whoever uh, steps up and grabs it gets it because you can't ignore the seven and zero record of Sogard to finish out the season last year. But I would think internally their projections were that it be. I don't know, sixty-five percent or maybe seventy percent of the games to Gustafson, and the and the rest to uh, to Sogard. Sunday was a different deal, whereas most of those were, I mean, there none of them were unexpected, but on Sunday there were some names in there that I thought might hang on a little longer at training camp. Guys like Jacob Bernard Docker, I thought he'd go right down to the wire. Igor Sokolov, Lassie Thompson, and a guy that I've been really impressed with in Mark Kastelik. Um, and I'll give you the full list again. Jonathan Aspero, Max Gannett, Kevin Mandelize, Cole Reinhardt, who I, I, I like him too. Pontus Aberg, Dylan Hetherington, and Cole Sherwood. And back to junior is Ridley Gregg 
and Zach Astapchuk. Any surprises in there for you in terms of the timing? Uh, not really. Um, I, I, we've pretty much decided, I, I think, we agree um, that the, the, the D is coming down to a choice between um, Brandstrom and Mete, and I think Brown's probably in. Uh, obviously, um, who am I missing? From Vegas, the new... Um, uh, let's uh, see. Uh, the, the guy that came over from Vegas. Now I look like an idiot, Steve. He's in. Nick Holden. Holden, yeah. So like Holden and Brown are probably in. We we pretty much agree it's coming down to something between Brandstrom and and Mete. So okay, let's let's get them less competition around them, not competition. So less bodies around them, taking up space, taking up reps in practice, taking up shifts in games. Get down to the guys you need to see. I, I I'm I'm not surprised by it. Uh, JBD was not going to be here for the year or to start the year. So. Get him down there working with the group that he's going to be working with all year as soon as you can. Same with Mandelize, same with Sokolov. I think we were pretty much in agreement that uh, uh, the, both mans had said he should be down in Belleville for the year and and in a, in a full season and all that sort of stuff. So get him there now and get him working there now. No problem with any of it. The one that I was interested in was was Mark Kastelik. Um, I really feel like when you're looking at the center ice position, we had talked about Ridley Gregg. And he definitely needs some more time in junior. Love the skill level that he showed a couple of games ago with that amazing goal. Got a bit of an edge to him, got suspended. But I think he still needs to grow a little more. I think he needs to, it didn't look like a guy that was where he's going to be physically. And uh, so I think that was a good plan. But now you're left with, I think we all agree, Pinto was amazing again on Friday night. I think we can all agree that we're going to have a situation with Norris and Pinto probably is the one too with Tierney and White after that. To me, Tierney and White have a, I don't know, there's a sameness about them. And I'd almost like to have someone like Kastelik, who I think is capable potentially of producing offensively as well as those two guys can. But then on top of that, big time physicality that he can offer down in a fourth line or a third line, whatever it ends up being. I would have liked to have seen a little more from him. Um, I think there's a bright future there. What do you think? Yeah, and I also was on record as saying that I thought that uh, Ridley Gregg might get a 10-game look-see here. Kastelik is a guy there that can fill in his or could be a potential third, fourth-line center at some point in the future. Logan Shaw is another guy who's who's a, who's a potential fourth-line guy, and and he has hung around. Like that, that was what I found more interesting was trying to go through the list of who's, who's gone. Okay, great. But who's still here. Right. And, and, and try to get a feel for that type of thing is just to, uh, to see who's still around fighting for jobs. And, uh, that seemed to be a little more interesting in there. I thought anyway, there's still a couple of names in there that you're going, okay, I didn't expect to see them here. Andrew Agazino, for example, still with the club. You've also got Scott Sabrin still with the club. Parker Kelly is still there, though he's dinged up. And uh, this is the lineup as it'll be for the Monday night game against Toronto. So still with the club, Murray, Forsberg, Gustafson. The defensemen, there are eight remaining. Zub, Brown, Holden, Delzato, Zaitsev, Shabbat, and Mete. They're on the roster for Monday night, but uh, Eric Brandstrom is not, but he's still with the club. Then the forwards are Norris, Formanton, Pinto, Sanford, Watson, Stutzla, Batherson, Paul, Agazino. Connor Brown, White, Sabarin, Ennis, 
and uh, that's the roster. And then again, Parker Kelly, I think, is still dinged up after that fight. And Chris Tierney not on the roster on Monday as well. So that's how the lineup looks at this very moment. But uh, I wonder how hard it is to balance out some of your preseason decision-making, Greg, as, as a coach at the NHL level. Like, like you're looking at a player who maybe is close to being an NHL or like a Mark Kastelik, for example. And on the one hand, you want to give the player a taste of the NHL, kind of the dangling of the carrot in front of the horse. You also want to get a good read on seeing exactly where the development is and how it's going and how close they are. And maybe they surprise you, make the team. And you could do that by letting them hang around for as long as possible. But on the other side of the coin, if you want them going down because it's best for their development or you're just simply skeptical about the player making the team at any point this year, you want to get them out of the way so that you can evaluate the true bubble guys on the team. So it must be tough to balance those factors. Think of it this way. It, it's an extension um of your of your thinking that this guy's going to play the whole year there. We want this guy to play in Belleville for the whole season. Okay. If we all agree on that, then how long do we keep him in camp? And what is the right. use of having him in camp to get reps with the NHL coaching staff to to learn the system? Well, the 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 organization already has the same system in place with Belleville and Ottawa. So get some of these guys playing where they're going to be, playing with guys they're going to play with with their team. Because that's where they're going to be. There's, having them parachute in two weeks from now after the Belleville guys have been going hard for two weeks and then all of a sudden the late guys come down, that's that's not really something that you want to do, especially when these guys are going to be the better players on your team. You know, like, like let's get them in camp now, get them set for the season, right? Like, um, you got Clark Bishop still hanging around. He's a, he's a guy who can fill in. Um, but, but you've got tweeners, right? There's a difference between a tweener and a career minor leaguer and a NHLer and a prospect, right? There's probably four categories there. So the prospect guys get them where they're going to go as soon as possible and get their reps in with their team. DJ Smith has trumpeted loudly at every turn when asked about it. Best players play. Best players play. But I think that on this discussion, there's a caveat to that, quite obviously, in that what's best for their development is going to trump best players play. I think there's a chance that we might see one or two guys end up in Belleville this year that maybe was be- were better than guys that are in the NHL right now. Um, would you agree with that statement or not? I don't know. Like we'll have to wait and see. But at this point, with the releases that have that have gone so far, I, I don't think anybody that's been released so far you will be able to say that about in the you know two weeks from now. Are we going to say, hey, wait a minute, you know what? That guy was better than this guy, and this guy stayed. Maybe when it comes down to the end, but I don't think so. I, I, yeah, so I guess I do disagree. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Like who? Who? You must have somebody in mind that you're thinking about. Like I know you're, you like Castellek. Are you thinking that he's a he's a better fourth line guy than Clark Bishop, who's still here? Is that kind of where you're coming from? Castellek, I would like better at center ice than either White or Tierney. Take oh, your pick. Really? Have your one. Wh- whoever high. you want of those. Whoever you want. No, no, not necessarily that high. I'm going to take one of those guys. And, uh, you know, if all things were equal, this is a team, ladies and gentlemen, that still has to get to the cap floor. So White and Tierney aren't going anywhere. So that's another caveat on the best players play thing. But yeah, Kastelik, I would love as my fourth line center. I think he's, you know, he just adds a different element. And I would say Igor Sokolov, while he's still 
muddling with his consistency, I think you might find that he's m- maybe a better winger than who, you know, potentially whoever is there on opening night. So, um, and I'm not saying that that's a, a definite thing. I'm just saying that you've decided to release these guys so early. Are you sure that these aren't the best players uh, at this stage of the game? That's all. Yeah. Well, it, it, like I said, it, we'll, we'll, we'll see what the, what the final lineup is. And then we'll see what the first couple of weeks are in the American League. And if these guys are down there racking up some serious stats, then then that's going to factor into, obviously, which one of us was correct here, right? Um, the the yeah. other thing we need to look at is is what kind of roles are they in? Like if you keep a Sokolov here, where is he playing in your lineup versus where you would project him to play in your lineup a year or two from now? Like what type of player yeah. is he? If he's a middle six winger, uh, then he probably isn't playing middle six here now, so it's probably not a good idea to have him here. Get him somewhere where he can play middle six minutes and develop into the player he's supposed to be. Kastelik, uh, I don't know. Uh, where would he be on the depth chart in Belleville? Like, if he's going down there and going to play as a number one, two center, then that could be a problem moving forward if you call him up and he's only a three, four guy. You know, he's... He's got to play a different role when he gets called up. That's always a difficult thing. So on Friday night, it was just about a perfect night. If you went to that game, Sens beat up the Montreal Canadiens 7-2. to They just seemed to score at will. Could have been, I don't know, a bigger number than seven. It was just uh, men against boys. But there were a couple of downsides, and that would be one would be the Parker Kelly fight. Parker Kelly has been a real darling of DJ Smith. I mean, when they lost to Toronto last week, I think we talked about that in our last episode, miserable effort, really not an entertaining hockey game. When DJ Smith was asked by Gord Wilson about that, the only guy he talked about was Parker Kelly, except for Parker <laughs> Kelly. Yeah, it was all junk, basically, paraphrasing again. But uh, they love Parker Kelly, and I like him too. He he drives shifts. He's just a the shift disturber. But he made a really bad decision, I thought, in the Montreal game um, he runs into Michael Pezzetta. Did you, by the way, did you have a chance to see that fight? Yeah, I did. I did. Yes. Yeah. So he smacks into Pezzetta along the boards and then gets in a fight with the guy, but he didn't seem to be ready to get into a fight with the guy. I don't know where you were at with that. It was a very strange decision to kind of hit the guy. Pezzetta seemed to be happy to just carry on with the play, but then Parker Kelly gets up and his face kind of squares off and uh, ignores the play, basically giving all the illusion that he wants to fight this guy. And so Pizzetta came with the fists and knocked mm-hmm. Kelly almost out. So he's, I'm not sure where he's at right now, but he's out with an upper body injury. We can draw conclusions. But what did you think of the decision by Parker Kelly to get in that fight? He almost turtled. Like that was my, my take was like he he came in there, he did everything that would say, uh, yeah, I'm a tough guy. I'm going to schmuck you here and I'm going to drop the gloves and go with you. And then it was almost like he turtled. It was very confusing. It left me wondering if he's a fighter or he's a shift disturber. Is he, you think back to the Sen Leaf days with all those crap that went on, you had Domi doing the fighting, but then you had Travis Green and Shane Corson and all those other guys just doing the crap. You know, there's a, there's a difference there. So is he a pest or is he a fighter? I see him more as a pest. I see him, he's, he's a lightweight or a middleweight at best. 
So he's not really a fighter. So I, I was kind of surprised by it. And my one thought was, I wonder if there's some sort of pass between these guys, but I couldn't really find anything. But yeah, I, I thought it was strange too. I'm right with you. And, and and I thought there was a bit of a turtle there after you almost challenged a guy and then you turtle. That, that didn't look good. Not a good look. I, I just, I, I don't know if he turtled. I think he didn't take his gloves off and he took a couple of absolute haymakers right away. Um, so I, I don't know if it was a turtle or just surprise. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a lack of knowledge of the player. Maybe he's thinking, I've never heard of this guy. I'll just come over and just, uh, you know, intimidate him or something. Uh, ooh, that was a terrible. Pizzetta was having none of it. Like the, the gloves were off fast and he hit him with some bombs. And so yeah, uh, that would be the first sort of red flag on Parker Kelly in that two things there. Really, if you're going to square off in the NHL like that, and he, he was the instigator, I think. If you're going to square off in the NHL like that, you better be ready to go. And number two, think of your circumstances too. You're up five two in the game. That's not the time to be agitating in that manner. So that that that's my first red flag on Parker Kelly. Um, hockey sense in both those cases. Yeah, well, I I know I mentioned this to you before. I I had a kid here on my team last year who played with uh, with Parker Kelly in the dub, and I asked him flat out, like, is this guy? Can he play in the NHL? He said, oh, yeah, no question. He will play in the NHL. Like, big fan, quality guy, character guy. Now, all the things that we thought of him up to this incident are are exactly what he is. So I just, um, just it was just a strange one. And I don't, I didn't see any quotes from him or anybody asking him questions about it. I don't think, did he didn't even, did he come back? What was the injury status? Did we get a report? I know he didn't play in the third period, right? Did we get an actual yeah. report on him? Um, no, just upper body injury. I assume yeah. there's a chance of concussion there. He didn't play in the next game either, the Saturday night game, even though he was on the roster. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think uh, – and, and he's played all the games. That's another thing, another indicator that this team loves them some Parker Kelly. He hasn't missed <laughs> a game until Saturday night until he got hurt on Friday night. So, anyway, I'm not saying the kid doesn't have great hockey sense. I am saying he didn't have it on that particular incident. Four minutes of period, Steve. Like he played about four minutes in the first period. He played about three and a half in the second period. Yeah. So but yeah. I, like, you, you talk about why are guys hanging around? So exactly why is that? Why is Parker Kelly hanging around other than rewarding him because he's a good soldier and they like him? want to move on and talk a little bit about something else from Friday night and that was the Josh Norris hit it was a hit from behind on Sammy Niku and I would like your opinion as to whether that was a clean hit or a dirty hit and uh let's start with that before I move on (laughs) I thought it was dirty I don't know what you thought but he came from across the ice um the best view of it it they, they showed like a game speed live shot basically from ice level uh, as he skated from left to right. And it was, to me, it was pretty obvious that you were going to hit him in the back. I understand F1, get in there hard, you know, take the shortest route to the puck carrier and arrive in ill humor. He did that, but uh, uh, ramming him from behind in the glass probably wasn't necessary. I kept looking at it over and over. Did the guy turn late? Did Should he have seen it? Should Josh Norris have avoided it? Uh, my final conclusion was he could have avoided it, and I I thought it was dirty. Uh, what did you think? 
Well, it's such a difficult one when you watch it yeah. in slow motion. I thought to myself, absolutely, Norris deserves to be suspended for that. But I watched it in live action. And it's funny, when people look, two people look at the same replay and we all have different opinions on things. I just, um, I, I'm like, isn't there sort of a contract between a defenseman and a four checker that you're not going to change, dramatically change your body position when you have the puck down on the end boards and F1 four checkers coming in He's coming in, even if he's planning to hit you cleanly. Like, if you do, I, I didn't think he had time to turn when I watched it in the uh, the the actual regular speed. But that's just how mm. I read it. Uh, and certainly, the guys on TSN agreed with you. Like Mike Johnson and um, Pierre LeBrun were all over him. Like that's absolutely got to be, um, you know, five, maybe five in a game because uh, Niku suffered a concussion on that particular play. But uh, I don't know. If, it's, if we're not going to use this as an example, don't you think we're getting let's, – let's leave this example aside. Is it problematic in today's NHL where players are not defending themselves? They're putting them, their bodies in bad positions, turning at the last second, which is fine if you've already kind of engaged and you're up, a, a player's up tight against you, and then you turn and you're protecting the puck that way. There's not the chance of that collision with velocity behind it that's going to wipe you out. Um, what do you think? Is that a problem in today's NHL? I don't think it is yet. Uh, it, it may become one as we move forward because you, unfortunately you've got uh, young kids who are learning that that's a defense mechanism. Somebody, some forwards coming at you, just turn your back and ha ha, he'll have to take a penalty. You know, it's becoming part of their bag of tricks to, uh, to defend against a four checker. So I, I don't think we're at that stage yet, but I could see it happening down the road. Um, I, I, but I don't know what the solution is. Like, are, are you going to start giving out penalties for turning your back? Or are you going to start saying, no, you turned your back. Therefore, that's not a check from behind. That's a, that's a risky road to start wandering down, uh, putting that kind of uh, a decision in the hands of a referee. Did he turn at the last second on purpose? Didn't he? I just, it's, that's dangerous. So I, 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 this one I didn't think was, was, I, I'll agree with the TSN guys. To me, it's, it's not an example of a defenseman turning his back late. To me, it was, a, it was an example of a forward not showing proper care and respect for his opponent. Right. The, uh, and the referee that was literally right beside Niku, like maybe five feet watching the whole thing go down, his arm didn't even flinch. So no. he clearly felt differently. So it's, uh, it's always such a subjective thing. Um, I can line up a focus group and watch these types of incidents and bring 20 people into the room, what happened on that play? 10 people would say this, 10 people would say that. Um, I'll only say that it's a fast game and uh, everybody processes it differently. And to me, it looked like a late turn, but um, we'll agree to disagree as we do. Um, We're allowed. One thing we can agree on is we love our hockey nostalgia. And <laughs> when Josh Brown's stick blew up on Saturday night, leading to Montreal tying the game, and they go on to win it 2-1, to one, my Twitter blew up because I tweeted out every time a composite stick shatters, it makes me think of the old wood sticks we used in the 1970s and eighties. Who else out there used a Sherwood PMP Featherlight 5030? And Oh my God, my Twitter exploded. It seems like everybody loved that stick or were eager to reply to me with a picture of their favorite stick back in the day. Were you a 5030 guy in the day? 
Uh, Steve, as I replied on Twitter, not only was I a 50-30 guy back in the day, I am still a 50-30 guy today. I use a wooden PMP 50-30 coffee pattern to this day. I've got a half dozen sitting in my office at the rink right now. Yeah, I, 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 why, why the resistance to technology? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm a curmudgeon. <laughs> I had a, um, <laughs> I did a camp for Nike when Nike first came out into hockey. I, I did a weekend camp and they, they outfitted me in everything from head to toe of Nike, uh, skates, helmet, gloves, tracky, the whole nine yards, uh, and a composite stick. And that was the first one I'd ever had. And I used it for a while because Nike gave it to me and I was doing a Nike camp. So I used it because I was kind of contractually obligated, I guess, but never really liked it. Um, and then when I did HEO work, we were sponsored by Bauer, you know, the Canadian Tire Bauer first shift program. So Bauer gives me mm-hmm. a tracksuit and gloves and a helmet and a stick to do all that work for them. So I use the Bauer composite when I do that. But beyond that, no, I'm a 50-30 coffee pattern. I, I wouldn't want to use anything else. Like, I'm sure you, you play though, right? Like I don't play anymore and I can't shoot a puck to save my life anymore. So it really doesn't matter. But uh, you're, you've been a composite guy for probably 20 years now, right? Yeah, I have. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, I, it's the lightness. <laughs> Most people like it. You know, they like to be able to get a quick shot off. I just like the, the lightness all of a sudden. I was a diehard when it came to the 50-30. I eventually gave way to those... Um, silver Gretzky aluminum sticks, the really shiny ones. Uh, Easton's. They were, they, yeah, they were the, I mean, they were dangerous, damn near. Like they were, they were, they didn't give it all. And they were just probably the hardest stick that's ever been used in an NHL game before. But that I went with those for a while and they were actually heavier. I thought than the 50 thirties, I, I, I was blown away by how many people absolutely have not only loved it as kids, but like you still using it to this very day, because you can still buy them. And you can get them for as low as nineteen ninety nine, which is a little less expensive than the four hundred you can spend <laughs> per twig these days on the composites. Well, I've, I've been blessed over the years, Steve, that I, I have not personally purchased a hockey stick in a very long time. So, but it's good to know that if I ever do need to, they're twenty dollars. As for the Titans and everybody wanting to play with a Gretzky stick, sorry, I wasn't that guy. Uh, the the white Titan with the red lettering. Right, I, I used the red Titan with the white lettering, which was the bossy Titan. I, uh, I I used that briefly, and I did. I once had a Torspo. Do you remember Torspo? They were hollow, yes. a wooden a wooden stick, but the shaft was hollow. I had one of those for a while, and uh, my brother played in the played minor pro for for three years down in Texas in the Islander system, and and he got. Uh, they played with Coho 221s, the silver fiber, if you remember those. So he used to ship me those because mm-hmm. they had his name printed on them. And I was playing Peewee and I had a stick with my name on it. So that was pretty cool. So I did use the the 221 by, by Coho for a little while too. Oh, I love Coho. I'm going to close it out today by mentioning the new Sens promo that's out there. It's kind of like a movie trailer almost for the Sens season ahead. And I thought it was pretty well done. What did you think? Yeah, I did. Of course, noticeable by his absence, there's not a single shot of Brady Kachuk in it. Uh, <laughs> True. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Eh? What do you think? I thought it was great. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I thought it, it touches what this team really does need to sell. They need to be selling the grassroots. They need mm-hmm. to be selling love of the sport, love of the team, 
you know, we have an NHL team in a small town like Ottawa. That's pretty damn cool. And so there was kids playing on the ice and it was multi-generational, right? You had an old dude having a coffee, you know, older than us, even like having a coffee going, go sends go. And then there's a little, there's a, a new mom with their little infant baby. I think she had the little onesie on it with the senators and stuff. And, and says, go sins, go pokes her in the nose <laughs> gently. And uh, so it was all across the board. Some kids playing minor hockey and gets absolutely crushed against the boards. Yeah. My response would have been, you, my response would have been, you son of a bitch. I'm going to get you back for that. He gets up and goes, go sins, go. My response was, shouldn't that have been non, non-contact to the age of these kids? What's that all about? Right? That's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. And what rink was that? I couldn't figure that. out what rink it was. Did I got a few out? bits of feedback from people who said, who said people saying uh, it was in Stittsville. Anyway, I thought it was pretty cool and good to see because I always, I think everybody has this idea of the Sens trying to cut corners and that looked like a really I mean, that didn't look like a cheap promo to me. It was only about 60 seconds long, but, Mm. you know, in terms of the filming quality of it and the music and uh, just all put together nicely, I thought it was extremely well done. So tip of the cap, because the Sens take a lot of grief for that kind of thing. Like, oh, my God, why are they doing this or why are they doing that? That was nicely done. And I thought we'd uh, mention that as we head out the door today. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SendsNationHockey.com.